there is sunlight, there is the sun. So we ask, Lord, do that work in here in every church in the city of Boston that's declaring your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So Jesus is with 11 of his disciples. The Last Supper had just finished. Judas had just departed to betray Jesus. Jesus is sharing his final words with his disciples. And what is truly mind-boggling, to use an overused term, mind-boggling to me, incomprehensible, is that when he was sharing these words with his disciples, in his mind, he knew he was also sharing the words with you. When he was sharing these words with his disciples, in his mind, he knew he was sharing the words with you. And when he shared these words, he wanted his disciples, he wanted... Uh, the words to have the same imp impact on his disciples as they would have on you. He wanted his words to have the same impact on you as they were having on his disciples. He had you in mind. You, listening 2,000 years later, when he was speaking these words. John 13 through 16, these words at the, uh, right, at, right after the Last Supper. He, he, he want, wanted these words to, to drive his disciples after he left them, to motivate them, to strengthen them, to comfort them for the rest of their lives. He wants the same impact on you. Same thing. He wants to do the same work. So verse four, uh, 1 of chapter 14 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. And we've, we've been on that verse for a couple weeks now. We're going to be on that verse again today because the whole chapter is really about a response by Jesus to the fact that their hearts were troubled. Why were their hearts troubled? Because Jesus had just told them that he would be leaving them. He had just told them that. Verse 36, he says to Peter, middle of the verse, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And their hearts are troubled. He's going. Their hearts were troubled. What do you mean you're leaving us? We've, we've left all for you. We've left our homes to follow you. What are we supposed to do? Go back to our home? Jesus said in verse 2, no. In my Father's house are many homes, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, a home for you. Well, how are you, how are, how are we supposed to, have hearts that are not troubled about that. We want you, Jesus. If, if you're not going to be able to be with us, if you're not going to be there, what's the point? 
What's the point? We love you. We, you've been with us. You've shown us how much you, you love us. And, and, and so, like, how does that work out? We don't understand. What about you? It's you we want. You. In verse 3, it says, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And receive you to myself. In verse 4, and where I go, you know. And the way you know. Again, Thomas with a troubled heart. Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. And uh, so how are we going to know the way? His response to that, verse 6, I am the way. I'm the way to where you're going. I'm the way to that home that I'm going away to prepare for you. Let your heart not be troubled. I am the way. But what are we going to do when you're gone? Do we go back to fishing? Do we go back to collecting taxes? We're not going to know what to do. What are we going to do with ourselves? Jesus says in verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. You'll be doing my works. Let not your heart be troubled. Not only that, greater works, verse 12 says, than these you will do. Greater works. Okay, but how are we going to do that? If you're gone, you're not going to be able to help us. Jesus' response to that is in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That's how you're going to do my works. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Again, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's how you are going to do my work. That's how you're going to do greater works than I've done. Do not let your heart be troubled. God loves you. He loves you and he doesn't want your heart to be troubled. So that's where we left off last week. But this week is a continuation it's the same theme. It's the same thing. He's addressing every trouble in their heart. Every trouble. God wants to see the life of joy in you. He doesn't want to see a troubled heart. This issue is so important to him. He's devoting his last hours on planet Earth. Within 12 hours, he's going to be hanging on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's a reference to the wrath of God that was coming down, the anger of God coming down upon him because of all their sin, the disciples' sin, had been put on him. This is 12 hours. He knew he's going to be agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane in just a little bit. But right now, he is so intent on them living a life of joy. He's hitting every single issue which may cause their hearts to be troubled. So the next thing he says in verse 15, and this is where we began this morning, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, most translations, Dave, if you can just uh, put up the first verse on the projection screen. Uh, I, I, m many translations say that if you love me, you will keep my commands. I personally think in the context that's a better translation. If you love me, keep my commands. No, it's really what he's saying here is if you 
love me, you will keep my commands. By the way, one of the reasons that I think that is because he's just about to say it two more times later on down in chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Wait a second. You've told us a whole lot. You have given us a whole lot of commands. And, and you're telling me that without you present, we're going to be able to keep these commands? Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. You want us to obey that without you. Give to everyone who asks of you. You really want me to do that, Jesus, and you're not going to be around? Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who lend from you and, and whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be called sons of the Most High. You want us to do that? Really? Really? Without you here? Again, Jesus is anticipating that in their heart. He's anticipating that, that these, he's going, and they're thinking, how are we going to do everything he just told us to do? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the, uh, are the merciful. How are we going to do that? And to calm their troubled hearts, he says, oh, this is so important. Did you understand this? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And just in case they didn't get it, he, he, he says in verse 21, he repeats it. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Again, verse 23. A third time, same thing. He's comforting their troubled hearts. He's, he, he says, if anyone loves me, he will, there it is, he will, keep my word, and my Father will love him. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. Let not your heart be troubled. If you love me, You will keep my commandments. Now, that's heavy. <laughs> How is that going to comfort anybody? How is, how is that going to comfort the disciples in this situation where Jesus is leaving and they're thinking, well, how am I going to do everything he's told me to do? How is that going to comfort them? You love me, so you'll keep my commandments. Let your, not your hearts be troubled. Let's back up. Let's back up a, a, for, for a few minutes here. You know, there can hardly be a more important question than these verses are begging here are begging here. Verse 15, verse 21, verse 23, verse 24. It's begging the question. When you read it, do I love Jesus? Do I love him? Brothers and sisters, there can hardly be a more important question posed to a human heart. It's exactly 
what the Lord wants to happen when you read these verses for you to start reflecting. Okay, now wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Do I really love Jesus? Well, yes, I do. Well, how do you know that? Well, I just read John chapter 14, verse 15. I know I love God because I obey His commandments. No! Stop right there. No, 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 no. There are thousands, tens of thousands of people who show up in churches all over the world who obey Jesus' commandments. But they don't love Him. Uh, they don't have a molecule of love in their hearts towards Him. They're dead to Jesus. They're religiously dead. There's no light there. But do they obey his commandments? Oh, yeah. Every jot and tittle. So that's the great, great danger of reading these verses. <laughs> In isolation and not reading them alongside the rest of the Bible. That's why we emphasize reading the whole Bible at Calvary Chapel. You read those verses... And, and, and what do you become? You become what's called a legalist. You know what a legalist is? A legalist is someone who's in love with Jesus' commandments, but they're not in love with Jesus. There's such a danger. You read these verses, and you read them four, four times. You have three times in the positive, one in the negative. If you love me, keep my command. Oh, really? Uh, okay, uh, that means if I, if I'm supposed to love Jesus, I got to go out and uh, and I got to I got to obey His commands. I, I got to do that, and, and and so they go out and, and they, they read the Bible. There's a lot of commands there. There's not just the Ten Commandments. There's really 605 commandments in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, there's a whole new slew of commands. And they go out and 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 they. Uh, and they try, and they try, and they try, and they fall flat on their face. Anyone been there? They fall flat on their face, and then they go out again. They go out again, and they try again. You know, after they read Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another. Don't lag in your diligence serving the Lord. Give to, need, give to the poor. Give hospitality to people. Bless those who persecute you. And, and, and it goes on and on and on. And, 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 and they go out and they try to do it again. And, they, and what happens? They fall flat on their face. And they get up and they try again, and, and they just try harder. The solution, i, I got to love Jesus. That's what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. And they go out and they try harder and harder. To th Their eyes are on the commands, of Jesus' commands, and they go out and they fall flat on their face. And eventually, eventually, I've had it. I'm out of here. Because they read these verses in isolation, or there's a a parent, you know, they, they have their, 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 their child, they want their child to, to, to love Jesus, and, and they're okay, you, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, you have to, got to stay away from that kind of music, you, you got this computer, wow, you're just three years old, and you're sitting around this computer figuring it out, wow, I can't do that, and I'm, you know, I'm 35, and, but, but look, when you're on this computer, you can't do this, and, and don't, you do, don't you read that thing, and don't you drink that thing, and don't you smoke that stuff. And the kids, what do they do? Because that's been the emphasis in their home. They fall flat on their face. And when they leave their, ho their home, they want nothing to do with that. Or a preacher, a priest, a pastor. And you got to do this. You have to do this. You, you have to do this and that and this and this. And, 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 and they, uh, they create a legalist, someone who's, who is all focused on the commands of God, but they're not focused on Jesus. What they've done is they've taken this verse, if you love me, verse 15, you will keep my commands. And they've, they've done this. This is their life. This is what their understanding is. Loving Jesus equals keeping his commands. Wrong. 
That is so wrong. And that will, get you, that will get you into so much trouble. Can we back up and look at it again? This will get you into so much trouble. So then you ask, well, what's up with this verse? What's up with this verse? And then the three others that follow. I mean, it does say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, the reason Jesus said that, you have to, you have to, it, to answer that question, what's up with this verse? You have to understand why Jesus is, is saying that to him. He, 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 they have troubled hearts. They had troubled hearts because they wanted to obey his commandments. But without him, how are they, how, how they going to do that? And listen, because Jesus knew that they loved him, he knew that they loved him. Not because they had obeyed his commandments. They were pretty sloppy at that. That's not, he, it, but because he knew that they knew he loved them. Woo. What did you just say? He knew that they knew that he loved them. They knew that Jesus loved them, so they loved him back. Jesus knew all that. He knew they loved him. They're worried, am I going to be able to do all your commandments? Uh, Don't worry about that. You love me. You love me, so you will be keeping my commandments. They knew that Jesus loved them, and as a result, they loved him back. They were about to die. The Sea of Galilee, there's waves crashing over them. He loved them so much This man loves him so much, he walks on water to rescue them. When you discover that in your life, that Jesus will walk on water to rescue you, you'll love him. And as a result, you'll obey his word. You guys following me? Maybe, kind of? Every time those bully Pharisees, those bully Sadducees, those bully scribes tried to attack his disciples, who stepped right in? Jesus did. Matthew chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, when the Pharisees saw that Jesus and his disciples were having dinner with sinners, with tax collectors, they asked his disciples, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What happened? Jesus stepped right up to the plate. Anytime there was a bully, he got right in front of that bully and beat him up. They knew that Jesus loved them. And as a result, they loved him back. And they did his commandments, and they will do it. So don't you guys worry. I know you love me. You'll be obeying my commandments. Don't let your heart be troubled about that. They saw Jesus heal thousands upon thousands. They knew he had the same heart towards them. And, and then in just in the previous chapter, Jesus, the Son of God, there's not a servant around to wash their dirty feet. And the Son of God takes off his outer garment like the least of the least of the least slave on planet earth and he washed their dirty feet. They knew. They knew that Jesus loved them. You guys love me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You'll keep my commandments. So brothers and sisters, Know this, when a man knows that Jesus loves him, he will love Jesus back and he'll keep his word. He'll keep his commandment. When a woman knows that Jesus loves her, she will love Jesus back and she will do what Jesus has told her to do. Have you ever been asked the question? I'm sure you have. So, so what religion are you? Are you religious? 
What religion are you? Sometimes you have to ask that in a form. Man, I hate that. I, I, don't, I don't like the question, believe it or not, in the sense that it's, it's sometimes, it's, it is an introduction to talk about God, but I don't like the response that I give, even though I know I have to give it. I'm a Christian. I don't like that response. Because, first of all, the only, that's a term I, I never chose. God never chose it for me. In the book of Acts, it says that some people started calling followers of Jesus Christians. Now, I do. I tell people, I say I, I, I'm a Christian because I, I need to be able to communicate. I need to be able to understand, but I don't like that because Christians have, they're, they're, Christians, rather people who call themselves Christians are so misrepresenting God and they have for thousands of years. Okay, so then call your, why don't you just respond, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, the problem with that is that many people who have followed Jesus have departed. We'll call him, what about, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Read John chapter 6. Actually, we did. All together here. 5,000 disciples of Jesus. And it says at the end of the book of John, oddly enough in John 6, verse 66, <laughs> that many of his disciples departed and followed him no more. You know what I like? You know what the Bible calls you? If you have given Jesus your heart as your Lord and Savior, you know what he calls you? You're a lover of Jesus. That's what you are. Now, you know, I, I, if someone comes to me, what religion are you? I'm, I'm not going to say, well, I'm a lover of Jesus because I want to, like, have a connection with them and be able to talk with them about God. And if I, and if I say that, they'll probably run in the other direction. <laughs> but that's what you are. But what is a lover of Jesus? What is that? It is a man. It, it, it's not someone who obeys his commandments. We've already settled that. Because there's so many who obey Jesus' commandments. There's many in other religions who, who, who obey his commandments. But they don't love him. So, so, so in what way do we love Jesus? Well, number one, we don't love Jesus the way he loves us. We don't love God the way he loves us. What on earth do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, it says this, while God demonstrate his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still, I prefer the, the translation, enemies of God. Christ died for us. While we were still doing our own thing, Christ died for us. That's how God loves us. But don't love God the way he's loved you. He's never failed you, ever. He's never sinned against you. You don't have to, well, I forgive you, God. There's once recently someone said that from a pulpit and there was like this explosion on the internet. I actually got what the guy was saying, but it was kind of irresponsible, I think. You don't go to God, forgive you, God. That's not how you love God. You love God because he is perfect in all his ways. You are a good, good father. We sang that this morning perfect in all your ways, in all your ways. You love God, why? Because he first loved you. 1 John 4, 19. Man, if you have difficulty memorizing verses, this is an easy one. Go to this one. It's so important, too. We love him because he first loved us. Why do you love Jesus? It's not, a, it's, it's not because you obey his commands. That's a fruit of loving him. That's, that's, a, that's a result of loving him. That's what happens when someone loves him. 
But loving Jesus means that in your heart, you treasure him. You love Jesus if in your heart you enjoy him. You love Jesus because in your heart you desire him. You love your, Jesus because in your heart you're, you're satisfied. You're now satisfied with him. You're not running after everything else in the world. You're satisfied with him. Now, you, you're, you're, you, 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 in your heart you treasure him in him because, listen, you have found out you have found out that in him there's so much treasure. So you treasure him. You enjoy him because you, you found out, you know that in Jesus there's so much to enjoy. You're so satisfied in him because you have found out, you, you know there's so much to be satisfied with. You have found out that he walks on water for you. You have found out that he heals you. You have found out that he so loved you, he died on the cross in, in, in one of the most agonizing deaths known to man, crucifixion. That's why you love him. That's why you love him. All that to say, it is true that if you don't obey Jesus' commandments, it is true, you don't love Jesus. That's just what the verse says. I'm not making this stuff up. It says it four times. If you love me, keep my commandments. From time to time in a counseling session or whatever, I, 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 I go into major hardball. A few months ago, I was talking with a person. This person had gossiped and gossiped and gossiped and gossiped, hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt. The person doesn't go to this church. But, and there was another pastor uh, involved in this situation. Uh, it, uh, this person had attended uh, his church at one time. It was the same thing. This person had been confronted. Look, you're hurting people. You're hurting people. And at one point, this person said to me, I just don't understand because I love God so much. And I interrupted her, and I said, no, you do not. You do not. You're hurting this person and that person and that person and that person. You don't love God. Pray for me because, I mean, I get into these hairy situations where if I'm wrong, I'm judging someone's heart, and I'm in big trouble with my Savior. But I had to tell her that. You don't love God. You're not obeying his commandments. Another question that these verses beg is, of course, well, oh no, am I obeying his commandments? Of course, the answer is no one obeys them. We're all sinners. But I mean, do we have a pattern in our life of obeying God's commandments? Some of you are, uh, the Lord is speaking to your heart. And the answer is no. I have a pattern of my life of deliberately not obeying what the word of God says. Do you know what the solution is? It's not to go out today and just try super, super hard to obey them better. It's to get into the word of God and discover and find out how much he loves you. These disciples loved Jesus because they knew him. Because they knew him, Jesus knew they would keep his commandments. When you get to know God, you will keep his commandments. Those patterns of sin... Those patterns of sin will grow less and less and less. If you know someone else who who's, has a pattern, that they, they call themselves a Christian. Re remember, we are talking about 
Christians here. Verse 22, it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? He's not talking to the world here. He's talking to Christians. Then he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If you know someone else who is just, oh man, they're in a pattern of breaking God's commandments. You know what the best thing for them is for you to, there's two things, open up the word of God to them. Best thing I can do for you all to obey the commandments of God is to open up the word of God for you so that you learn, so that you know him, so that you'll love him and keep his commandments. But if you know someone like that, the best thing you can do is steer them in the direction of God if you don't think you're qualified. Man, there's, there's sermons, there's CDs, there's, there's, there's all kinds of stuff on the internet. And say, look, start getting to know God. You, you, you will be able to break this pattern of sin in your life. You will. The second thing is, you got to pray for them. you got to pray for them. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 says this, this is Paul speaking, speaking to the church of um, Ephesus. I do not cease making mention of you in my prayers that you will try harder to obey all the commandments of God. No! It's not what he prayed. You will not see a prayer like that. I do not cease. I don't stop making mention of you in my prayer that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Once the eyes of your heart are enlightened, you'll get to know who God is and you'll start keeping his commandments. That brother, that sister, you know, we were talking about in a recent ministry meeting, what do you, what do, you do with someone who's in pornography? What, how are we supposed to receive them? To give them time to get to know God, Jesus, more Number two, I didn't emphasize this enough, pray for them that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. Once the, once, again, once the disciples knew that Jesus would walk on water for them, he knew he was a healer. He knew he loved. He knew, he, he knew that he got in front of every religion. He would get in front of every religious bully. He knew that here's the guy who washes my feet, the Son of God. They loved him. They knew he, they, he loved them, and as a result, Jesus wasn't even worried. You guys are. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You'll obey my commandments. So this is communion this morning, and I'd like to, um, I'd like to call the worship team up now. And while they're coming up, I'd like to continue the message for just a few more minutes. For just a few more minutes. And I want to focus on Jesus. And my prayer is that what I share with you about Jesus is going to open the eyes of your heart so you know him more. And because you know him more, you'll love him and you'll keep his commandments. Now I'm going to do it in a kind of odd way. I'm going to go back to the book of Numbers, and I'm going to share with you the message I recorded this week online, the Old Testament messages I record each week and put them online. And I want to, now I'm going to read some verses, and you may say, that's why I don't read through the Old Testament, because I fall asleep as soon as I start. Just give me a little time. Moses and the children of Israel, the book of Numbers, chapter 29, are just about, they're right on the River Jordan, they're just about to go over in the Promised Land. They've been in the wilderness 40 years. They're just about to go over. Moses is telling them some things. And uh, real, you know, the first time you read it, it's like, okay, why are you telling them this? First of all, you told them all this in the book of Exodus 40 years before. Why are you telling them this? This again. And so he starts telling them about the feast. He, he, he says, Okay, here's the feast of Passover. 
And here's what you do to celebrate those feasts. Here's all the, here's all the offerings that you offer on the, on the Passover. And then he gets to the, um, uh, to the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And he says this in um, Numbers chapter 29, verse 12. Now, buckle your seatbelts. You better be ready for this. On the 15th day of the seventh month, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites. They're right about to go into the promised land. On the, on, and this is what he's telling them. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work, meaning you won't work that day. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in their first year. They shall be without blemish. On the second day, this is an eight-day feast, Feast of Tabernacles, actually read about in John chapter 7, comes up in John chapter 7. On the second day of this feast, present not 13 young bulls, but 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. On the third day, present 11 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. Verse 23, on the fourth day, present to the Lord 10 bulls, 2 rams, 14 lambs in the first year without blemish. On the fifth day, 9 bulls, 2 rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. On the sixth day, present 8 bulls, 2 rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. On the seventh day, present 7 bulls, 2 rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. And on, on the eighth day, the eighth and final day, Present a burned offering, one bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Wow. Why do I, why would I mention such a thing right before communion? The reason is this. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his blood that was poured out, we don't have to do that anymore. Do you know, in one year, in the nation of Israel, according to the law of Moses, just in one year, if you count all the um, national offerings, the offerings that had to be made every year, it was 1,086 lambs, 113 bulls, 37 rams, 30 goats. In addition to that, a ton of, of flour and 375 gallons of wine and oil in one year. Now, do you know how much work it takes to slaughter one bull? A ton of work. Now, now, now you may ask, well, why was all this done... Um, it, why was all this done in the first place? Well, the key is right there, offer 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. They were all pointing to Christ. And, and God wanted people to know, look, your sin is a big, big deal. You, you not obeying God's word is a big, big deal. And I want you to be reminded of it every day. So here, the, the good news is this. Jesus fulfilled all of these things. All of them, every single one. It wasn't just at the Feast of Tabernacles. A lamb was presented as a burnt offering every single morning and night of every day of the entire year. Jesus fulfilled all of it. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, there is now a rest for the people of God. All the work of those offerings, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it is accomplished. All those offerings, they're done, they're fulfilled. Now all we have to do is believe in him. That's the good news. You know what the bad news is? There is bad news. That we don't have the benefit of the children of Israel of putting our hand when we present a burnt offering on a bull or a lamb and seeing the throat slip of that lamb. We don't have the benefit of that because let me tell you, that was a benefit in many ways because, wow, they realized this is what my sin has done. This is what my sin has done. 
Instead, Jesus gave us something else. He gave us communion. And it's during that communion time where we just don't want this time just to pass away as a religious thing. We want to remember, oh, wow, what Jesus has done for me. His side was pierced, his hands and iron stake driven through them. His feet and iron stake driven through them. His back opened up by I don't know how many lashes, it doesn't say. The Jews had a law, you couldn't give someone more than 39 lashes, but it was the Romans beating Jesus. They were not constrained by that. And just remembering what the Bible says that by his wounds we are healed. So as we pray, uh, prepare for communion, if you've been asked to pray, please come up. I think what I'd uh, just like to do most, if there's something you'd like to pray about, you can come up with someone who, uh, someone who's up here and, and pray through it. But what I'd like is just for you to reflect on that blood of Jesus, on that crazy illustration that I just gave you from Numbers chapter 29 and... My prayer is that by the end of the service, by the end of this worship song, you will know Jesus so much better, and as a result, you'll be keeping his commands. So let's just stay on our seats for now. Let the worship team play, and just let's have a time of reflection. And then after a few minutes, just uh, you can go to the back. We have the communion elements in the back. You can go get a cup, get a piece of bread, return to your seats. But let's reflect. If you'd like to get on your knees, please do. Let's reflect. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us there, Lord. Help us get there. We can understand better, so much better your son did for us on the cross. I pray this in Jesus' name.
betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I ask the folks who have 